Thank you, Bud Phil. Thank you, uh, BB ladies. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Working through a Sunday night series on Bible doctrine. I meant to mention it uh, earlier. Uh, pray for me. I'm leaving for uh, Nicaragua this Friday morning. And um, going to be teaching in uh, uh, the Bible college there and uh, preaching in the uh, church that we uh, support down there. We are the sole supporters, as far as I know, of uh, Pastor Josue. And um, it's a wonderful thing. He's trained in the Bible Institute there, and uh, he is among his people. He'll never be homesick. And $300 a month supports the church rent and his whole family's salary. And uh, to send an American missionary there is about $5,000 a month. And so what a, what a great, great uh, privilege to uh, support ministries like that and put uh, trained national men uh, planting uh, autonomous, independent Baptist churches. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, pray for me as I travel. I don't know how many times I'm going to be speaking. I don't know, 12, 15, 18, whatever. Uh, find out when I get down there, I guess. I'm going to bring my computer uh, <laughs> and a printer uh, because I, I like pre preaching with notes. Uh, I tend to say some of the most outrageous things I say when I leave my notes. And so uh, I try to stick with my notes. And uh, I don't know, some people like it when I leave my notes. Uh, my wife doesn't like it when I leave my notes. But I'll stop there and keep myself out of hot water. Sunday nights, we're working through a series on Bible doctrine. Uh, Bible doctrine, of course, is the source of our stability as Christian people. That's why the Bible admonishes us, says, give attendance to doctrine, give attention to doctrine, take heed to doctrine, warns us, and in the last days, someone depart from the faith, exhorts us. In Jude verse 3, that we should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And if you and I do not know what the faith is, uh, there's no way we can contend for it. Some people uh, have changed a lot of Christianity because they think some of the things we do are actually just man-made traditions when in fact they're actually biblical principles and others fall into the ditch in the other side of the road and they defend every church tradition like it was a key Bible doctrine. I want us at Bible Baptist Church, I want us to know the difference. I want us to know what we do here that is biblical. I want us to know what we do here that links us with historical biblical churches. I want us to know what we do here that is just a practice of this local body of Christ. And if we know the difference, then we have the opportunity to be strong in our faith, knowing not just what we believe, but why we believe what we believe. Uh, we have now for the last few weeks on Sunday nights been focused on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. We actually spent six whole weeks talking about His ministry, talking about His work in us, His work in the world, because it is a doctrine that is so abused and so misunderstood. I wanted us to understand it as believers because there are great benefits to us to fully have the message or the work, the ministry of the Spirit of God uh, in our lives. He permanently permanently lives in every genuine believer from the moment of salvation. And though He will never leave us as a believer, when we sin against Him, He subtly and quietly stops doing His ministry in us and through us. 
You see, believers who sin against the Holy Spirit, He never leaves them, but you will just recognize that you don't have His comfort, that you don't have His instruction, you don't have His help when you pray. You do not have very much manifestation of His fruit. You do not have the evidence of His fullness. And that's a terrible place to be. When we recognize and find ourselves to be living in our own strength and living and serving in our own wisdom. And last Sunday night as we began to study specific sins against the Holy Spirit, we talked about blasphemy against the Spirit. We talked about lying to and tempting the Spirit. We talked about resisting the Spirit. We spent time defining those things and we exhorted one another to live sincere Christian lives, to keep growing, to keep our sins confessed, that we can walk humbly and walk in the Spirit so His ministry would be unhindered in our lives. But there are a couple of other specific sins against the Spirit mentioned in the Scripture. Remember, any sin against God is technically uh, a sin against the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune Creator. Any sin is, uh, it, against God is a sin against the Spirit. But there are several sins specifically said to be against the Spirit. And if you and I want the Holy Spirit's ministry in us to the fullest then I think it's important that we understand these sins against the Spirit so that His work and ministry would be as unhindered as possible in our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to help every believer fulfill the plan of our Creator for us in Christ. But hear me when I say He will not force His work in us or through us. We must yield to Him. We must walk in the Spirit. Hear me when I say the Holy Spirit is very powerful. But He is also sensitive. He's not going to stomp His feet, walk out the side door. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will just subtly and slowly stop doing His work in us. And I don't want that. And I know you don't either, or you wouldn't be here on a Sunday night. So if you're able to stand tonight, stand please in honor of the Word of God. We are just on our eighth part of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4, verse 29. says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Thank you might be seated. When we think about sins against the Holy Spirit, you don't need to turn there, but in Isaiah 63.10, if you take notes, we learn that the Holy Spirit can be vexed. He is a person. He lives inside the heart of every believer. And Isaiah 63.10 says they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He was turned to be their enemy, and He fought against them. To vex is to trouble, to distress, to agitate someone or something. 
And in those days, God had given His Word to Israel, and He made known His will to them, but they just decided that they were not going to do what God had said, and it vexed His Holy Spirit. It displeased Him. It hurt Him. It made Him sorry. It troubled Him. It distressed Him. It agitated Him. And they were alive. They were religious. But they were hindering the Holy Spirit in their rebellion against the will of God. And hear me, if you are living in rebellion against God's clearly revealed will, then you are clearly vexing the Holy Spirit. And even if you're here tonight and the hammer of God's discipline has not yet fallen in your life, understand that your willful rebellion uh, hinders the Spirit of God from doing what He wants to do to help you and do ministry in and through you and to bless your life. But it's not vexing the Spirit on which I want to focus tonight. Few here on a Sunday night are living in open rebellion against God like Israel was in the days of Isaiah. You see, vexing the Holy Spirit is not a subtle sin like last week we talked about resisting the Spirit. That's a subtle sin against the Spirit. Uh, Vexing the Spirit is an open and obvious sin against the Spirit like lying to the Spirit and tempting the Spirit, which we learn to be hypocrisy. It's an in-your-face sin. We are saved by grace, kept by grace. But if you choose to live in sin while living under grace, you're vexing God's Spirit, and you'll regret doing so. You don't need to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 29, we learn that the Holy Spirit can be, quote, done despite. That verse says, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of Grace. Capital S, Spirit of Grace. You see, hath done despite means to insult. See, Christ graciously shed his blood to give us opportunity to be saved. Uh, To reject that insults the Godhead. It is doing despite under the Spirit. See, I, I, I think we underestimate just how much it insults God for God to have so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and yet we are not interested in Him. God shed the blood of His only begotten Son. God shed His own blood according to Acts chapter 20, and yet we're not interested in the blood of God that washes away our sins. What a tragic testimony that does despite it insults the Spirit of God. I mean, imagine you sell your car, you sell your house, you liquidate your 401k to rescue some murderer from death row, only to learn that that murderer says, I'm not interested, I don't care, I'd rather die. And it is much sorer punishment and an even bigger offense and an insult to have God do what He did for mankind and to say, God, I am not interested in the blood of your Son. By the way, if you're here and not yet saved, you are doing despite, you are insulting the Spirit of God. I want to tell you, I would much rather face God in judgment coming from the dense jungles of Africa or South America, having had only the witness of creation and my conscience to the truth of God, than to go to hell and show up at that judgment from a pew or a chair in a biblical church in America, having known exactly what God did for you. It is an insult to God. And in particular, doing despite to His Spirit. 
fact, if you're here unsaved tonight, my prayer is you'd turn to Christ. But likely on a Sunday night, there are few, if anybody, here like that. If you are, I pray you to repent. And so tonight I don't want to focus on doing despite to the Holy Spirit. What I do want to focus on is two other sins against the Spirit that are specifically linked to Christian people. Just like resisting the Spirit was a subtle sin against the Spirit we talked about last night. Tonight we read there in verse 30, says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You see, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He's a person. He is God living inside each of us as believers. And though the Holy Spirit permanently seals us until God redeems us from this life, you and I can grieve Him while He lives in us. Hear me when I say from the book of Ephesians written to Christian people, this is a specific statement to Christian people. Now the same root word as translated as grieved and grief and in heaviness and in sorrow. The idea here is the heaviness and grief that you feel when you've lost someone dear to you. It is a spouse of decades that you loved and were close to who has gone on to be with the Lord. It is that heaviness and grief and sorrow of heart that he's speaking about here. Hear me when I say that as a Christian, you and I can put a weight on and sadden and cause the Holy Spirit to be grieved while He lives in us. Hear me when I say you and I as Christian people will never have all the comfort of the Spirit we could have. We could never have all of His instruction and help to learn the things of God that we could have if we're grieving the Spirit. You and I will never manifest as much of His fruit as we could manifest. We will never have the evidence of His fullness in our life. There are so many things the Holy Spirit does in us as believers, and we will never have those if we live grieving the Spirit. So what does it mean to grieve the Spirit? How do we do that? Notice the context in which this sin is. See, grieving him is immediately preceded by an exhortation to speak to others in a way that builds them up. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Uh, It's linked here with how we talk to other people. See, constant criticism and negativity has never built anyone or anything. It has torn a lot of things and people down. Now, by the way, one of the things I try to do as your pastor, you'll never hear me come and just lament how bad the world is and leave you walking out of here a bunch of hopeless people. How silly. This world is a mess, but God is good, and He picked us for this day, and that means you and I can live a victorious life in the darkness of our day. Sadly, too many Christian people know that they should forgive someone, know that they harbor ill will against someone, Know that you struggle to speak peaceably to them anytime you see them. Know that just the mention of their name and anything good that's going on for them stirs your heart in a negative way. Hear me when I say that grieves the Holy Spirit. 
Grieving him is preceded by this exhortation to speak to others in a way that builds him up. It is immediately followed by an exhortation to change our attitude towards other people. Notice in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness, wrath, and malice are all bad attitudes towards other people. That grieves the spirit. Clamor and evil speaking are a way we talk to others that reflects our bad attitude toward them. That grieves the Holy Spirit. Notice it is also immediately followed by an exhortation to be kind and to forgive others in verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. By the way, this morning we talked about commandments of Christ. There were three. Be kind one to another. Forgive one another. Be tenderhearted. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, God has a lot of good reasons to not forgive us. But God, for Christ's sake, forgave us. It doesn't matter what kind of reasons you think you have that are worthy to not forgive some other sinner. You don't forgive anybody because they deserve it. You don't forgive anybody because they ask for it in just the right way you were looking for at a time you were open to hearing it. We forgive others for Christ's sake. And so grieving the Holy Spirit is directly to sadden Him, to give Him heaviness. It's directly linked with how we treat others and how we handle being wronged. If I were a guessing person, and I were guessing why so many Christian people have far less fruit of the Spirit than they could have and display little or no actual evidence of the fullness of the Spirit, if I were guessing, I would say it's because we grieve the Spirit with the way we fail to forgive and handle being wronged. There's not a person in here, including myself, who hasn't been wronged by pastors, deacons, Christian people, bosses, co-workers, people of every sort, my family, we all have. And we are either going to say, you know what, for Christ's sake, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to be tenderhearted. For Christ's sake, I'm going to speak to build up instead of tear down. For Christ's sake, I'm not going to allow this bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor to have control of my life and yield to the Spirit instead of grieving Him. Let me ask you, if you have the courage to pray, Lord, show me who I'm bitter at. Do you know what I find when I pray prayers like that? Somebody comes to my mind. Or several people come to my mind. Do you know what that means? That even though I like to think I've forgiven them, that I really haven't fully. 
Do you have the courage to pray that? Lord, show me who I'm bitter at. Lord, show me who I need to forgive. To the degree you and I do that, we will either grieve or not grieve His Spirit, and His ministry in us will either be hindered or not. See, my heart's desire as your pastor is not just that you be saved, though that's where we all start. My, my heart's desire is that you would live with the fullness of the blessing of God in your life. Amen. And you, that's not going to happen if you're grieving the Holy Spirit. But that's not the only sin against the Holy Spirit mentioned. Go back in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Some of these sins, every sin against God is a sin against the Spirit, but some specific sins against the Spirit, they're obvious, they're external, like lying to Him, remember, which was hypocrisy, uh, vexing Him, which is insulting Him with just willful defiance. Very obvious. Very obvious. Other sins against the Spirit, they're subtle. Last week we talked about resisting. We just talked about grieving. And there's another subtle sin against the Spirit. Uh, you're here on a Sunday night. And if somebody didn't drag you here, that, that means that you have some kind of a desire in your heart for, for more than just a casual relationship with Christ. You want His blessing in your life. And, and this is a part of having it kind of sins against the Spirit hinder His work in my life? Here's the next thing. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. He is a person. He is God living inside us as believers. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, quench not the Spirit. It's a pretty easy memory verse. It's a very specific warning. And again, like the one in Ephesians, is given to Christian people in whom the Spirit of God permanently lives. Now the interesting thing about quenching the Spirit is unlike grieving the Spirit, there's no context to really figure out what it is. Uh, grieving the Spirit is in a context that's all linked to how we treat people around us and how we handle being wrong. Uh, this command is kind of in, Paul, uh, as the Spirit leads him, gets near this short letter and he says, you know what, i got a lot of stuff I want to unload. And he just unloads a bunch of specific, unrelated things beginning in verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. These things are all disjointed commandments that he wanted to leave those thoughts with the Thessalonian people and nested in the middle of those uh, disjointed and unrelated commandments are quench not the Spirit. It's command. What does it mean? And so because we don't really have a context to determine specifically what it means, we need to look at what the word means. Um, to quench means to put out or extinguish. To bring an end to a fire of some sort, to dampen, cool, or decrease. If we look at other usages of the word, Jesus talked about uh, on three occasions that the fire of hell would not be quenched in Mark chapter 9. Uh, by the way, if you think that you're going to go through life unsaved and that you're going to wait and see what happens after your death, uh, understand that will be too late. Amen. 
And that fire in the lake of fire will never be quenched, according to Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, according to Hebrews 11.34, in Daniel's day are said to, quote, quenched the violence of fire. The fire that was in Nebuchadnezzar's furnace heated way hotter than it was ever designed or planned to be heated. Uh, Their faith quenched that fire. It dampened it, put it out. It caused it to have no effect on them. Paul said in Ephesians 6.16, he said that the shield of faith would, quote, quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You see, it is our faith in Christ and in the Word of God that dampens and cools and decreases the effects of any attack of Satan on the children of God. So hear me when I say to quench the Spirit is to throw water on the fire He's trying to ignite in your own heart and life. Listen, God's Spirit is not trying to get you to take my next step in life. He's trying to get you to take your next step in life. I don't know what that is. All I know is it's not mine. Listen, I'm 62. I've been saved now for 38 years. Uh, God has some higher expectations than He does uh, from you if you're 17 or you just got saved two months ago. Whatever your next step is, when you say, Lord, I am not going to do that, that is quenching the Spirit. To quench his spirit is to throw water in the fire he's trying to ignite here at Bible Baptist Church. To cool, to dampen, to decrease what God wants to do here. Listen, God wants to do something here. Listen, uh, the ear of the Lord is not deaf that it cannot hear. His arm is not shortened that it cannot save. The, The problem in America and American churches is not God. The problem in American churches is American Christians. And God wants to do something. But it isn't going to happen when we just carelessly and casually treat being a disciple of Jesus. And for you or me to dampen, to cool, whatever it is the Spirit of God is trying to do here, that's to quench the Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit unhindered in my life. I want Him to produce as much love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, and faith in me as He's willing to produce. I want Him in my life to produce as much evidence of His fullness as He's willing to produce. I do not believe that if I was more yielded to God, then God would just grow this church to 5,000. I don't believe that. I don't believe if you sit here and say, well, if I was more yielded to God, God would cause me to win a hundred people to Christ. Here's what I believe, is that God has a specific plan for every one of His people. And if you and I hinder His Spirit, we resist Him, we grieve Him, we quench Him, whatever it is that He wants to do in your life through you, it will be hindered. I want my life to produce as much as God will allow me to produce. Which means I cannot quench the Spirit in my life. Are you putting water in some way in the Holy Spirit trying to get you to love ministry? (laughs) To be committed to spend and be spent on others? To be a builder of the things of God? See, my fear as your pastor in the lukewarmness of our day is not that I've been preaching too hard. 
My fear is that I haven't preached hard enough because we have a Savior that says, listen, if you don't take up your cross, you can't be my disciple. If you don't take up, if you don't forsake all that you have, you can't be my disciple. If you don't hate your father, your mother, your spouse, and your children, you can't be my disciple. Listen, I know all three of those are hyperbole. They are exaggeration to make a point. But the point he's making is that to be his disciple is an all-in proposition. I want to be all-in. Which means I got to watch quenching the Spirit. See, how can you retire from ministry in light of that without quenching the Spirit? How can you give up being zealous and warm-hearted towards the things of God without quenching the Spirit? How can you go to church less, visit less, pray less, read the Bible less, care about fewer and fewer people outside your immediate family without quenching the Spirit? How do we become less holy, less righteous, more worldly without quenching the Spirit? How do we become more and more interested in the things of life and less and less interested in the things of God and serving God? How can we do that without quenching the Spirit? And the answer is, you can't. There should be a fire burning in the bosom of every follower of Jesus. Amen. I don't expect your, your fire to burn like I expect my heart to burn. I believe my Savior expects me to just light my heart on fire for Him and just let it burn. My concern is not that your heart burns like mine. My heart is does your heart burn like it ought to? Because if it's not, you're quenching the Spirit. May God help us And not let spiritual slumber and complacency that so easily beset all of us help us not to quench God's Spirit and give in to that. Help us to be excited about the things of God. One of the reasons I love teen camp is it's just pouring gasoline on on the fire instead of water. Many come home and everybody and everything pours pours water on, on that fire. Say, Brother Wally, does that mean teen camp is bad? No, I think it's great just to know what it feels like when the fire burns. Listen, I'd rather have that fire burn for two weeks than never. Stick in the mud. Is your heart ablaze with passion for Christ? Does your heart have some flame for whatever it is you do for the Lord? I I don't know how people are casual and and careless about whatever it is you do. Listen, you ought to take it as seriously as I take whatever I do. You're doing what you do for Christ. I I plead with you tonight, and Christ said, put away the water you're throwing on God's Spirit's work in your life. Focus on the Savior. Listen, He paid it all. You know, someday we're going to look up and see Him in glory. And we will not help but be able to proclaim worthy as a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You won't help but to proclaim it. You won't help but 
get down to the end of those seven years and crowd, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. You will not help but proclaim it then. Why not get some fire here? And stop quenching the Spirit. Listen. You want His comfort? You want His instruction? You want His help when you pray? You, you, you want His reproof when you sin? You, you want His fruit in your life? You want His fullness? You, you, you want to be able to speak the truth boldly? You, 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 want, you want to see people's lives changed for righteousness? You want to see people converted to Christ because of your testimony, because of your life? You want to see those things? Then the Holy Spirit needs to have full reign in your life. He needs to be unquenched. He needs to be unresisted. He needs to be ungrieved. <laughs> and we, call, we can do that. Humble yourself. Walk in the Spirit. Remember, it's a very simple thing. You walk in the hallway, your boundaries are controlled by the walls in the hallway. You walk in the Spirit, and your boundaries are controlled by what the Spirit of God has taught us. If you're hindering the Holy Spirit tonight in some way, would you just... I don't know who's doing what. Quite frankly, when it comes to these subtle sins, I don't know who's committing them other than when I commit them. You might look really passionate to me. But you will know in your heart whether you're quenching God's Spirit. And so I plead with you tonight in Christ's stead. Just confess. Amen. Yield to God. Live a sincere, faithful, committed Christian life. None of us live perfectly, but no one ever has to live in willful defiance against God. Right. Amen. Amen? If you quietly stand.